So have you ever looked at somebody and thought, just on initial impression, well, I, I know what this person's all about. I know what they're going to be like. I can just, can just see it all over them. But then they, they start talking, and you get to know them, and it's like, wow, this is, this is someone completely different than what I expected. We've got a couple pictures here, um, as long as everything worked right. Yeah. This guy right here, he was on a show called Britain's Got Talent in 2009. And you look at him and you think, like, this guy's going to sing, like, punk rock or, you know, it's 2009, so maybe, like, some emo music or something like that. But this guy sang opera. He's a soprano, like, a male soprano. And it's like, I don't know how many guesses it would have took me to get there, but it would have been a lot before I guessed that this dude is going to sing opera. Right, and then uh, this next one, this woman uh, in this picture, nice, you know, normal, familiar-looking woman. Right? Um, how many of you would guess that she is the voice of perpetual ten-year-old menace to society, Bart Simpson, on The Simpsons? That woman right there looks like a nice little grandma. Right? A little bit different than what you might expect. People can surprise you. Um, you know, in between the, the point where the, the search committee and the elders uh, had said, hey, like, we, we want to hire you, and the point where I was actually voted on uh, during that whole weird uh, COVID season, um, I met with the youth group once on a Sunday night uh, over Zoom, and uh, Sarah Waddles was on that call, and Audra, and Drew, and a few of the other students, uh, including... These two kids, this brother and sister, and they looked like they would rather be anywhere else. They looked like these just miserable children. And I get off this call, and I'm thinking, oh, those seed kids are going to be trouble. Their dad's an elder, and so they're going to be forced to be at church, and they don't want to be there. And obviously, uh, if you know Brian and Chloe's seed, that couldn't be further from the truth. They are wonderful kids. Um, but my initial impression was, oh boy, like I'm in for it with these two. But appearances can be deceiving. Uh, and there are a few better examples of that than the religious community in Jesus' time. Right? Outwardly, it would have seemed like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the ones to follow. Those are the ones who, they have it all together. They know everything that they're supposed to know. But Jesus, of course, knew otherwise. In Matthew 23, he calls them out. Uh, quite harshly, for their hypocrisy. Um, inwardly, their hearts told a much different story than their outward appearance. And Jesus knew that, and he called it for what it was. Instead of surrounding himself with the religious elite, Jesus chose fishermen. He chose a tax collector. He, he chose just regular old people to be his disciples. He called them to come and follow him. They were unlikely choices to grow the kingdom, but God knew better than the wisdom of men. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 today, and we're going to look at a situation uh, featuring a really unlikely example of faith. Uh, we'll start with reading verses 5 and 6. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Uh, it's a little bit of a strange interaction because this Roman citizen, this this. This centurion is coming to Jesus, and you'll remember maybe from 
when Bill preached Luke's version of this story back in September of last year, uh, Luke added some more detail. And the Jewish leaders were kind of sticking up for him. They said, no, 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 Jesus, you should help this guy because he helped, he helped build our synagogue. But, but it's a little surprising in the context of their culture that Jesus would listen to this man. Being a Roman centurion, he was part of the oppressive rule over the Jews. The Jewish people wouldn't have liked him very much, generally speaking. He was a man of war. He would have proven himself to the point of he, he's risen high in these Roman military ranks. And most likely, given again that he was a Roman, he was probably raised as a pagan. Probably worshipped all those, all those false gods. This is not the kind of guy that most Jewish leaders would be seen associating with. But Jesus wasn't most Jewish leaders. He was different. That was a good thing. All right, so let's read on. Matthew 8, 7 through 13. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Jesus hears the man's plea and he sees the man's heart and he says, Okay, I will, I will go and I will heal him. But the centurion says, You don't even need to go. He has this incredible faith that Jesus just needs to speak the word without even being in the presence of the servant needing healed. And it's going to happen. Jesus is impressed by his faith and I think also by his humility. And he kind of marvels at it out loud. He tells the, the surrounding crowd, I've never seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. This outsider, this person that you would never expect has impressed Jesus with his faith. But this man is what the global church is really like. It's full of people you would never expect. Unlikely converts everywhere because of Jesus, because of who he is. When, when we look through the Gospels, we see Jesus come near to those who are broken and outcast, just repeatedly. These people that the religious leaders would have ignored and cast out. They would have had nothing to do with them. But Jesus doesn't just preach to those people. He gets down in the dirt with them. He meets them where they're at. And he shows them that he sees them and he cares for them and he loves them. The bleeding woman in Luke chapter 8. The demon-possessed men that, that follow in Matthew chapter 8. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. The blind and deaf and the lame that Jesus healed. None of them would have been the people that you would expect the church to be built on in that time. But their changed lives were such an incredible witness to the power of God and the change that only comes from an encounter with Jesus that people couldn't help but go and see, well, what's this all about? 
what, what is going on that these people have been changed so radically and so drastically? Um, if you'd known me at 12, 13, 14 years old, you would have labeled me an unlikely convert. You wouldn't have said, oh yeah, he's, he's going to be a Christian. No way. And there's no chance on earth you would have thought that I would be up here preaching someday. No chance. Some of you might be unlikely converts. Some of you might have been the type of person that say, oh, he'll never step in the doors of a church. They won't be there. No way. But here you are. Jesus does that, right? He, he takes what we were and he changes us into something completely different. I am so glad I'm not who I used to be. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't care who I was or what people thought about me. He just wanted my heart. He wanted me to place my trust in him. He wanted me to obey his word and to live faithfully according to his word. That's all he wants out of any of us. And when Jesus commanded his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he was calling them to a life of reaching out to the unlikeliest of people and seeing their lives change because of the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. Nobody in that time would have expected an Ethiopian royal official to spread the gospel. But I'm sure that's what happened after Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 of Acts. You wouldn't have expected a man who was looking for opportunities to kill Christians to become maybe the greatest missionary ever. But that's what Jesus did to Paul after that encounter on the road to Damascus. This Roman centurion and these other examples of unlikely converts should lead us to ask some questions of ourselves and of our church. And the first one I think we need to ask ourselves is, am I willing to share the gospel with unlikely converts? Am I going to do that? I know there have been times in my life where I haven't bothered to bring up Jesus or, or the church with people because I, I've had it in my head there they're just not going to want to listen to this. They're not going to give me the time of day, so I'm just not going to do it because it's going to be uncomfortable or whatever. But what kind of faith am I showing in those moments? Probably the kind of faith that caused Jesus to say, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, right? The, the rest of Israel had, had faith like that. Well... I'm just not going to do it because I don't think they'll respond. The, the complete opposite of the centurion that says, I know you can do it just by speaking a word. Can't Jesus do greater things than I can imagine? Think of the people in your life. I, I'm sure that there's more than a few that you can label as unlikely to come to church. People that may have even told you, you will never get me to come to church with you. But what if, what if God got a hold of their life? What if he changed their heart like he changed mine, like he's changed yours? Well, what then? What could happen? What could come out of that? And I think the answer is really all, all kinds of things. Because if God gets a hold of someone like that who is adamant that you will never get me in the church, I will never believe, I will never give my life to him, people see that difference. They'll be amazed by that kind of faith and think, okay, I've got I've to think about this. 
maybe they come and they get to see the same things that we see every Sunday. People that love each other and love the Lord. Um, people that get to share together in the study of his word and worship uh, the God who is worthy of our praise. And they decide, you know what, I want that. I need this in my life. This is what has been missing. This is what I've been searching for. At some point, each of us that believes, we had to make that decision for ourselves. Yeah, I, I want everything that Jesus has to offer. But we were only able to do so because we had the information that we needed. Someone shared the gospel with us. Someone brought us to church. Someone gave us the opportunity to meet Jesus. So that leads me to my second question. Am I ready to share the gospel with unlikely converts? Do I know how to do that? All right, it, I am sure that the vast majority of you in here can do that at the drop of the hat, right? But just in case, um, here is a very, very simplified version of the gospel. God created humanity in his image, and then sin separates us from him. Thankfully, Jesus came to die for our sins to reconcile us to God. And he rose from the grave, and he's coming back. Is just showing that information to somebody going to convince them to follow Jesus? Probably not, but that's a starting point. That, that is some basic information that they need to know and understand before uh, they can make that decision to give their life to Jesus. But because of all that, we can have eternal life in heaven with God. You know, like, like Dave said in his prayer, there's, there's people out there convinced that either everyone is going or there isn't anything after you die, or any, any number of lies. We know. We know the truth. We have God's word. We believe God's word. And so we have to share this. It's a very simplified uh, way of looking at it, and there's going to be far more questions that arise uh, from this, but that's a start. This, this can maybe begin that conversation, and so can our testimony of how God has changed our life. It's especially important because I think being ready to share the gospel is about more than just knowing what the gospel is and knowing how to explain it, but we have to have that evidence of change in our life. If I told you that I've started training for a bodybuilding competition, you'd probably laugh because I don't exactly have the physique for that, right? You would not be convinced by this. Perfectly fair, because I'm not training for a bodybuilding competition. I have no plans of it. I never will. But if a couple months down the road, I started showing up to church, and like there's, there's some muscles that you hadn't seen before, and you know the gut's gone and things like that, you might start to believe, oh, maybe he really is. Don't hold your breath. It's not going to happen. It's just an example, right? But the Christian life should give us some proof. There should be proof that we are Christians. That we really do believe what we say we believe. Jesus said, people will know their, his disciples by their what? By their works, by their love. We will be able to tell if someone really is a disciple of Christ. Jesus taught us that a good tree produces good fruit. And Paul says the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When people see those things in our life, that is the evidence of the Spirit working within us. That is the evidence of us becoming more like Jesus. And it's easier for them to believe in God when they see the proof. So another way we need to be ready is we need to have faith like the centurion that Jesus can change the hearts of those unlikely people. We need to know what the gospel is and how to explain it. We need to have the evidence of a changed life, but we also need to believe that Jesus can change their lives too. Belief in the power of God is vital to our efforts to share the gospel. When we really believe that he can do that, we can share it with confidence. I believe that a lot of times people are all too happy to fit into the attitudes of those around them. Right? They're, they're gonna, they'll fit into the box that you place them in because it's easy. I'll live up to the expectations that people have for me. If a parent treats their child like a burden, they'll feel like a burden. If an employee knows their boss doesn't expect much out of them, typically they're going to perform accordingly. They'll just skate by. They'll do the bare minimum because the boss is fine with that, right? But when a student is encouraged and empowered and challenged to be more, it's easier for them to confidently take that next step. When your boss encourages and supports you, it's easier to go above and beyond to do your work, to improve in whatever you're doing. When we see the potential of how God can use these unlikely converts, they can begin to see it too. I didn't have any plans to do ministry in my life until someone spoke that truth into my life. Someone said, Andy, you could, you could really do a good job with youth ministry. And for the first time, I considered... Maybe that's what God wants me to do. I think it was, right? That's why I'm here. So that brings us to our final question. Am I going to share the gospel with unlikely converts? Am I willing? Am I ready? And am I going to do it? Because we we can get all excited about it up here and and in here, and it's easy in this building and in this room to say, like, yeah, I'm going to go do it. It's a whole other deal to walk out those doors and take action. Am I going to take what I've been challenged with here today and go do something about it? You know, I've I've been doing a study with uh, my junior high and high school students all summer on on how to study your Bible. Because I want them to go deeper. I want them to do more than just read the Word. I want them to really study it and understand it and let it begin to change their lives. And I can give them all the information and I can tell them, here's how you do it. Here's what you need to do. Here's some different tips and tricks. But... If they don't go and do it, we just wasted our time, right? Maybe not completely, but more or less, it didn't change anything. So each of us needs to decide, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go and share the gospel with unlikely people? I can't answer that question for anyone except myself. I can't even force my kids to do it. I can't force my youth group to do it. You know, I can't get that kind of obedience a centurion servant had, you know. Ultimately, again, each of us has to decide what are we going to do with what God has done for us, what God has given us. And that extends, obviously, far beyond what we just talked about today. 
it's not just about sharing the gospel. It's some people need to decide, am I going to accept the message of the gospel for the first time? We've had a few people do that this summer. And man, there's nothing more exciting. So, some of us need to decide, I'm going to confront and confess my sin. It needs to happen for a lot. Some people need to decide, am I going to forgive the person who hurt me? Or am I going to seek forgiveness for the people, from the people that I've hurt? Whatever it is you need to decide, we're, we're going to sing and uh, we're going to do our invitation song, our closing song. Um, I know one decision that's going to be made in our second service today. Uh, we've got a young girl planning to get baptized today as long as nothing has changed uh, that I'm not aware of. Uh, Audrey's going to baptize Skylar Hotchkiss uh, in our second service. and That's exciting. Uh, girl's going to be in fifth grade this year and, and she's excited about following the Lord. And, you know, if you look at her dad, if you know Dave Hotchkiss, Dave looks like an unlikely Christian. <laughs> he's got tattoos and he's got uh, funky colored hair. And Dave's a, Dave's a different kind of guy. But he loves the Lord and he loves to serve. And he's taught his children that. Now, he's got three girls that I love having in the youth group because they're excited about God and what he's doing. And they caught that from their dad, who at some point in his life, he would, he would be more than happy to tell you he was not likely at all to be a Christian. But God changed his life, right? Just like every one of us. So whatever decision you might need to make today, uh, now's a great time to do it. Let's stand, let's sing.